Anyway, it's good to see you guys this morning. Uh, I'll say it again. My name is Kyle. I'm the pastor here. We're glad that you're here with us today. Uh, it's an exciting day for sure. Uh, so if you're visiting with us, thank you so much for coming out today and worshiping Jesus with us. Uh, we are here just simply to make His name great. This is not about New Life Community Church. It's not about any of the people you'll see up here. It's certainly not about me. Uh, it's about the Lord. And so one of the things we've tried to keep in mind as we've been going through this transition and moving into this spot and just being overwhelmed is probably the best word for uh, just all the good gifts that God has given this place in the last month. Um, one of the things we've kept before us is just Psalm 127. It says there that if, uh, unless the Lord builds the house, he who labors labors in vain. And so we know that the house is not about the building. It's, it's not about what we've got. It's not about stuff, though we are certainly grateful for a bigger building. We're certainly grateful for kids' rooms and all those things. But the house is what the Lord's doing in your life and what He's doing in my life and, and how all of that is meshing together. That's the house we're excited to see God building. So I just say that with a, a warm heart this morning that it's good to see you today uh, at New Life Community Church. We're glad you're here. Um, if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and turn to John chapter 9. Uh, I'm just going to echo what Alan got to a moment ago, which was that uh, we are um, so thankful uh, for so many of you who have come out to help. Uh, one of the things I always heard in church leadership growing up was that 20% of the people do 80% of the work, right? And maybe you've heard some of that, and that tends to be the case for a lot of churches. But let me just brag on you guys for a minute, because that has not been the case here. We have had uh, probably the flip of that at least, that 80% of the people are only having to do 20% of the work because there's so many people showing up to do stuff. And I just say thank you from the bottom of my heart for that. Amen. Y'all give yourselves a hand clap of praise. So today's kind of a special day, not just because we're in a new building. Uh, that's cool. Uh, but more importantly, today is Palm Sunday. We are a week away from Easter. We are five days away from Good Friday, and we call it Good Friday because it's, it used to be called Good News Friday. The good news was that Jesus died for us, that He gave His life for us because that's what we needed. We say it a lot around here that Jesus outed all of us on Good Friday, and what I mean by that is, is that He showed us that none of us are good enough uh, to get into heaven apart from a Savior. Uh, but before He did all of that, He rode into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey and and it was one of the most humble things i think you would ever expect the son of god to do uh, and i just want to read that real quick from john chapter 12 i just chose the john text because we've been preaching through john and i thought it made sense uh, so i'm just going to read this to you uh, and then we'll get into our sermon here in a moment but i think we need to acknowledge this this is called the triumphal entry the next day the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet Him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And it says that Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it was written. So this was to fulfill a prophecy about Christ written hundreds of years earlier. It says, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your King is coming, and he's going to be sitting on a donkey's colt. And so 
What's significant about this is all these Jews who were praising Christ as He comes into Jerusalem would be the same ones crying just five days later, crucify Him, crucify Him. And the reason is because they missed who Jesus was. They expected Him to come as they have, as we've seen in the text so many times throughout John. Their idea of the Messiah looked different than God's idea of what the Messiah was going to be. They didn't understand the mission that had to be accomplished. And so they were frustrated when they realized that Jesus wasn't going to come in and establish this new world order, essentially. This new kingdom on earth, uh, free them from the rule of the Egyptians and, and all of that. And so what happened was they got mad at Him and began to cry, crucify, crucify. And so we'll get to that some next week. Uh, but today is the day that marks the final week of Jesus' life. Um, so right now, though, we're currently walking through the series in the book of John. And what we're looking at is... Um, we're just going through this, and we're taking John 20, verse 31, which talks about the purpose of John's Gospel. And the purpose of it is, he says, that I've written these things so that you may see that Jesus is the Son of God, that He's the Messiah, and that having seen Him, you may find life in His name. Just an incredible mission for the Gospel of John. And so every week, what we've said is, this is a new encounter. We are encountering Christ all over again. We're coming to Him and we're getting to see Jesus today. And, and so our prayer through that is, as we see Jesus in the text this morning, Lord, give us life. Give us life. Amen? And so there are parts of us that need a resurrection. There are parts of us that need new life in Christ. And so we're praying that as we go through this. And so I just want to ask that you would bow your heads and let's pray and ask the Lord to speak to us today. I ask that, our, that His Holy Spirit help us discern His Word. Father, we come before You and we praise You. Uh, just for an exciting day, we praise You that this day marks that triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. And though it looked different than what maybe we would have imagined, we know that the mission uh, was decided from, be from before the beginning of time. That Jesus would ride in and that He would give His life for us. And so today we sit humbled by that. We sit in awe of the fact that a, a Son of God, the Creator, would die for us, that He would die in our place. And so Father, as we open Your Word today, would You help us find life in these words about Jesus? Holy Spirit, we invite You now to speak to us. Open our hearts, open our minds. Help us to see Christ today. And having seen Him, help us walk away from here with brand new life. Life refreshed by God. Life refreshed by this community of saints today. We love you. Amen. Amen. So, uh, at any given time, there are a, just a plethora of things going on, right? At any given time, you can be experiencing all sorts of things. And, and here's kind of the point of this, is that all times you and I are going through a situation. Now, the situation can be defined as good or bad or horrible or amazing. We could be uh, extremely joyful and, and happy in those moments, or we could be depressed and just feel downtrodden by uh, whatever our situation is. But the point is, we're all, at, uh, we're all in a situation. 
Right? Would you agree? You'd say, say yes? Yeah? All right, we're all going through something. So Ecclesiastes 3 points it out this way in verses 1 through 8. It says, for everything, there is a season. That there is a time for every matter under heaven. And this is what I think we need to know today, that there's a time to be born. We know that if we're born, there's also a time to die. There's a time to plant and a time to pluck up what has been planted. There's a time to kill. There's a time to heal. There's a time to break down, a time to build up, a time to weep, and a time to laugh. There's a time to mourn and a time to dance. There's a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. There's a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. There's a time to seek and a time to lose. There's a time to keep and a time to cast away. There's a time to hear and a time to sow. There's a time to keep silence and there's a time to speak. Well, those are hard to discern sometimes. There's a time to love and a time to hate. Also hard to discern at times. There's a time for war and a time for peace. There's a time for everything. It says, what gain has the worker from his toil? And uh, anyway, so, so the point today is that there are a time for everything. And so let me just put it to you this way. Just in the last few weeks, I have a friend uh, and his brother uh, has, has learned, uh, well, they knew he had cancer before that, but his brother's learned that things are getting increasingly worse. They're not getting better, though there's been many prayers and, and many hopes for things to get better. It's not getting better right now. And so there's a time to mourn in those times, right? But there's also a time to be hopeful when stuff like that's going on, to still hold out hope uh, for that healing. There's uh, my aunt uh, recently learned that she had cancer in her kidney. She had to have her kidney removed. And, and, and so there's a time of sickness. There's a time to be afraid. There's a time to wonder what's going on. But then, on the, on the flip side of that, it could be something exciting. Over the last week, everyone who has walked into this building, has their eyes have lit up and there's been a big smile on their face. They've just been grateful for what the Lord's doing at New Life Community Church. And so there's this time of excitement, even though I guarantee you those same people who are excited in that moment have other things in their life, just like you and I, and that, that would not be so exciting. Things that, that cause you to worry or to be frightful. And so my point is, which I hope everyone sees, is that there are times for everything under the sun. And that at any given time in your life, you're experiencing sometimes multiple situations. You're, go, you're going through a bunch of things. And so, there's so many situations, but there's always something that's happening. I think the question becomes, it has to become, it, it has to be, how can I, how can you glorify God in all of our situations? In all your situations, how can we bring glory to God in those things? And so I think our text points us this today. This is easily one of my favorite Bible stories. And so let's just read this about the man who was born blind. Verse 9, as he passed, I'm sorry, verse 1 of chapter 9, John chapter 9, I may not have told you to turn there, John 9, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, 
this man or his parents that he was born blind. So they, the, the, the custom then was to think that anything wrong, anything defective about you must be punishment from God. It must be that, the Lord, that God is punishing you for some sort of sin. But what Jesus is going to show us is that that's not always the case. In fact, I, I think it's more common that what Jesus points out, I, I think that that's more common. That, that things happen in our lives so that we can see God's glory more so than things happen in our lives so that we can be punished or, or that the Lord is chastising us in some way as a, as a loving Father would, which is what Hebrews points out for us. So Jesus answered, He said, it's not, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. And Jesus says, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day Night is coming when no one can work. And he's talking about while he's on earth, there are things that he is going to do. He must be about his father's business. He must be about the mission that's before him because there's a time coming where he's going to be on a cross. He's going to give his life for us. In verse 5, he says, As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Gross. Jesus spit. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. Go wash in the pool of scent. So he went and washed, and when he came back, he could see. He came back seeing. And so there's a few things that I want to point out about our situations, about what you're going through from this text. The first thing that I think we need to see is that we need to see that God is with you, but He's also working in you through your situations. Whatever they are, this is what we're after. Help me to see Jesus in this. Help me to see how God is with me, how He's working in me. I love the way the text just says, Jesus saw this idea that Jesus notices. He, he notices you in your pain. He notices you in your troubles. He notices you in your distress. He's there for you. I think that's a comforting word for us. The fact that you are not alone. The Creator of heaven and earth sees you. He looks upon you. And you can be confident that He's not only with you, but He's working in you through your situation. Now, He will use it for His glory. What we read in, in Romans is that all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to His purposes. So we know that in all things, if you love the Lord... You're pursuing the Lord, you're following the Lord, you're a disciple of Jesus. You can be confident that in all things the Lord is working something together for your good, even though you may not see it in that moment. It's there. And so he'll use it for his glory. Philippians 1 6 reminds us that he who began a good work in you is faithful to bring it to completion. Now, when we say the word faithful, we're not talking about just anybody. All right, because if we know anything about ourselves, it's that we are often unfaithful. Right? 
We, we struggle to be faithful. God does not struggle to be faithful. When we say He's faithful, we're not talking about uh, an unfaithful person that you may know in your life. Now we're talking about a God who is faithful. Which means He can be trusted. Which means that in all things, He's working together in you to bring something to completion that He started in you. So again, you can be confident. So I think we need to see that God is with us See that God is working in us through all situations, whether high or low, good or bad, great or evil. We must look for God's work in our situations. Amen? I think the text is interesting because the disciples are asking what caused the man to be blind. Was it his sin or his parents' sin? And, and oftentimes you'll hear it preached in a way or hear this text talked about in a way like, like the man was just blind. But what we know is that God allowed the blindness in the man so that His glory could be made known. That's what He says. That's what Jesus says. He, this man was born blind so that the glory of God could be made known in him. Well, how is it made known in him? Because He heals him in this situation. Now let's, let's keep reading. Verse 8. I'm going to read a little longer this time, but I've got two points on, on this. But let's just follow this narrative. It's fascinating. The neighbors and those who had seen this man before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? And some said, it is he. And others said, no, but, but it looks like him. It, it can't be him. It, it's just somebody that looks like him. And he kept saying, I am the man. I mean, you ever have somebody not believe you about something? You're like, I'm telling you that this is true. I get that this is what this man's doing. He's like, I'm him. It's me, I promise. This is, this is me. It's the same guy. Go look. That guy's not there because I'm him. I can see now, right? He's trying to convince these people. I'm the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes open? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud. I wish he had said the man called Jesus just spit on the ground and wiped it on my face. That would have been awesome. But it said the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes. That's a lot nicer way to say it. And said to me, go to Salome and wash. So I went and washed and, and received my sight. And they said to him, where is he? I don't know. And so they brought the man to the Pharisees. And now it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. Now that's a no-no for the Pharisees, right? Stop, stop healing people on the Sabbath, Jesus. What's wrong with you? So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight, and he said to them, He put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. All right, it's the same story that I've been telling you guys. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And so there was division among them. Some of them are starting to think, maybe, maybe there's something to this guy. He sure has given us a, a, a lot of heck lately. He's causing a lot of problems for us. And then others are like, no, this man's a sinner. You know, this man's not who he says he is. We've argued with him. So this man is not from God because he does not seek the Sabbath. How can a man who is a sinner do such things? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? So now they're at such disagreement. They're like, well, let's just ask this guy. What does he say? And the man says, this man is a prophet. He's a prophet. And the Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight 
until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight. Like, go get his parents. This man's crazy. Go get his parents. Maybe they'll tell the truth. Maybe they won't lie to us. Maybe he's trying to pull a fast one on us. And they asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? And his parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. And here's why they did that. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. They, f- they feared this hierarchy of Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. He was going to be thrown out of the church, essentially, then. If you say that Jesus is the Christ, we want you out of here, because that goes against everything that we're trying to do. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. And so, for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. So they're saying, it's okay to say that God healed you, that you were healed, but, but don't say that Jesus did it. But because we know that he's a sinner. And he answered them, whoo, I love this. Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. But one thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. Would you underline that in your Bibles if you're okay doing that? One thing I do know is though I was blind, now I see. And they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, my goodness, I've told you this already. And you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples? What a slap in the face for them. And they reviled him. They're angry, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. And so the man answered, Why? This is an amazing thing. (laughs) These guys are supposed to have the answers for everything, and now they're admitting, We don't know this guy. We don't know where he comes from. And the man who doesn't have any spiritual insight, he's got no Uh, lifetime of teaching and knowledge of these things he's like whoa this is an amazing thing you do not know where he comes from and yet he opened my eyes he says we know that god does not listen to sinners but if anyone is a worshiper of god and does his will god listens to him never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind if this man were not from god he could do nothing they answered him You were born in utter sin, and you would teach us? Who do you think you are? And they cast him out. Just incredible. So willfully blind themselves, they couldn't see. And so the second point about your situation, how can we glorify God in our situation, is to seek God's glory in your situations. The first is to see that God is with you. He's working in you. The second is to seek God's glory in your situations. And I would say that this is really a preview into step one. Like like this is really kind of should become first about what we do. Instead of asking in the middle of your situation, why is this happening? Why am I going through this? What has caused this? What sin is in me that's caused this? What sin have, have we committed? What's happening? 
Instead of asking those things, we should be seeking God for how He can be glorified in the situation. I love what the man says. He says, we know that. He's saying we as in the Jews. We, we know that God does not listen to sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God, this man was a worshiper of God. He was a Jew. If anyone is a worshiper of God and does His will, God listens to him. God listens to him. And so what we see is that this man most likely had spent some time praying that the Lord would heal him of his blindness. He, he's telling these guys, look, you know that God heals people. That I'm a worshiper of God. I, I've tried to do the things he's commanded, and, I, and in doing so, I've asked him to heal me. And the Lord's answered my prayer. He's trying to appeal to what they know to show them these things. And so he prayed for the healing and God heard him. Now, here's what we're prone to do as human beings. We're, we're prone to just assume now that healing automatically comes. And that if I'm not getting a healing, it must be that I don't have enough faith or that I'm not trusting the Lord, or that I'm not asking the Lord, or that there's some sin in my life, and so the Lord doesn't want to heal me. And we put all that on us, wrongfully so. Because what's happened here is, and I think we must be careful not to assume healing, not to assume that we'll be healed of something. There's nothing that says that God's glory, for God's glory to be manifested in your life or to be made evident in your life means that He has to heal you of your situation. There's nothing in the Bible that says that has to happen. Certainly we can petition the Lord for it, but there's nothing that says that has to happen. For this man, healing happened. But for Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, just one of our examples, weakness meant a greater display of God's glory. Paul prayed three times for this thorn in his flesh, which is uh, most likely just a, uh, an example of something he was dealing with. He called it a thorn in his flesh. We don't know what it was. But he prayed three times that the Lord would take it from him. Now, if anybody's going to get a prayer answered from God, if it's based on merit, if it's based on faith, if it's based on the works we're doing, ought the Apostle Paul not receive his healing? Wouldn't we think that? Like, like he deserves it. Any of us deserve it. He does. But you know what Jesus says to him? You know how Jesus answers him about this healing? He says, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul. And in your... He says, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. So, in other words, I will put my power on display... Not by healing you, Paul, but by sustaining you. And so for both of these men, God's glory was on display in their life, certainly, but it looked different. It looked different. It wasn't based on merit. It wasn't based on anything like that. It was just based on trusting the Lord in your situation. How can I glorify you in this? For the blind man, it meant him being healed. So he could run and tell everyone about the healing. But for Paul, it was 
Let me write this down to this letter of the Corinthians about this healing I prayed for. And the Lord chose not to grant me this healing. Instead, He chose to leave me in this so that in my weakness, His power could be made known. Then Paul couldn't attribute those things to himself. And so in both, God's glory is being magnified. So I think through prayer, through God's Word, you can seek God's glory in all of your situations. No matter what season of life you're in, maybe it's multiple seasons at a time, you can seek God's glory wherever you're at. You can give God glory in that thing. But you won't know how until you're seeking the Lord. I think that comes through prayer. It comes through the reading of the Word. But in prayer, it comes through asking for things with an open hand. Maybe it is healing. Maybe you are praying, Lord, heal me. There, there have been times, just in, in my small tenure as pastor here, that we have gone and prayed for people and they've been healed. That we've joined together as a body of believers praying for people and they've been healed. And there have been times where we've prayed for people to be healed and they were not. But the Lord chooses how He wants to display His glory in our lives. But make no mistake, He will be glorified. He will be. So I think we ask for things with an open hand and then we, we trust God to act in the way that most glorifies Him. We ask Him to help us to discern that plan. Help us to see it so that we're not bitter about it. Maybe it looks different than we had hoped. Help us to see it and to give glory to Him. Amen? And then I think the third thing that should happen for us is that we speak boldly about God's work in your situation. As you begin to ask the Lord, show me your work, show me your plan, He begins to show you and you just begin to speak boldly about it. You begin to tell others. The locals come and they question this man. The high-ranking Jews question this man. His parents are questioned. And they even kind of cowered because they didn't want to receive the punishment that had been threatened. But this man was questioned. And instead of cowering down and just be like, yeah, you guys are right. Maybe, maybe there's something about this man. I don't know. You know, you're, you're right. God, God healed me. This man probably had nothing to do with it. Instead of doing that, this man says, one thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. He sticks to his guns. He stands firm in what the Lord has done. He says, this is what God has done. I want to glorify Him for it. I want to bring glory to Him in this. His, his testimony is our own, and I think that's what we need to see today. His testimony is, is your testimony. You may say, look, I may not know all the details of how God's working. I don't see all the parts at one time, but you, you should have seen me before. Before the Lord worked in my life, you should have known me then. And if you did know me then, you know me now. You know that the Lord is real, that Jesus is the Christ, that He's the Son of God, that He's living and He's active and He's working in me. Because you can look at my life and see that, and that's our testimony. You don't have to be a genius when it comes to apologetics. You don't have to understand the ins and outs of systematic theology. Some of you are like, what's that? Exactly. 
You, you don't not have to know the different names for salvation. You don't have to know anything about end times and the different views on that. You don't have to know those things. You don't have to be able to stand up and defend those things. What we're asked to do is to be ministers of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5 says that, that, that you were old. And when Christ hit you, that all that old became new. That the former things have passed away and all things have become new. And that as a new creation in Christ, you've received a new mission, a new plan. Namely, that you are now a minister of the gospel. That you get to tell people, I was blind. I was spiritually blind, but now I see. You get to tell people, my marriage, my marriage was in pieces. It was falling apart. And we surrendered to the Lord together. We begin to pursue Him together. And look what the Lord has done. Look, we were blind. We had all these problems, but the Lord has worked in us. And look at our marriage now. Praise God for that. You get to tell people, though I had this sickness and this illness, though, the, though I was suffering these things, here's how the Lord worked in my life though I don't have as much financial stability as I would like, the Lord's taught me how to be content. He's taught me how to spend my money wisely. To be a good steward with what He's given me. And now I've got more than I could ever need. Though my pay never went up. Never increased. You get to point people to the Lord in all situations because you are now a minister of reconciliation you get to tell people about jesus you get to tell people about how good he's been to you about how you were once blind now you can see about how you were once dead in your trespasses and sins but now you're alive in christ jesus by the grace of god what does our world need to hear more than that should we argue about end times? Should we divide churches over silly doctrinal stances? Or should we stand together in ferocious, Holy Spirit-empowered unity and tell people about what the Lord's doing in our lives? Instead of debating meaningless topics, Instead of getting into arguments with one another and splitting churches and trying to find the church that we like the best. Lord, help us. If you're doing that, it, you're not serving God, you're serving yourself. If God has to look like what you want Him to look like, you're your own God. Lord, help us if that's the case. You should have seen me before. The Lord's working in me. I say it all the time. I'm not quite where I wanted to be at 31. You know, I envisioned myself being much smarter and wiser and all those good things. But man, you should have seen me at 23. I don't know how I convinced Patricia to marry me at 21. The Lord blinded her. Praise God. You see, the truth is here that, that God is good to you.
Though your life may not look like you want it to look, God is good to you. If you're breathing today, you have more now than you deserve. If you're going through a bad situation, it'll be the worst. Whatever the worst thing you can go through in this life will be the worst thing you ever experience in your life forever. We used that Randy Alcorn quote, last, maybe it was last week. That for believers, earth is the only hell they'll ever know. But for unbelievers, earth is the only heaven they will ever know. Isn't that sad? It also helps put things in perspective for ourselves. The Lord's good to you. Let's tell somebody about it. Let's tell people about what the Lord's doing in our lives. Let me finish this text. Verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have seen him. Remember, this man was blind. You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. So He's talking about this poor beggar and those self-righteous Pharisees. That the poor beggar was blind and now he gets to see. The self-righteous Pharisees think they see everything only to realize they're blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and they said to him, they're still angry. <laughs> they said to him, are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Again, they're standing in their own pride. They're trying to stand in their own righteousness. And Jesus says, that's not going to cut it. Until you humble yourself, put your faith in Me, you'll remain blind. Though you may think you know everything. So I think the final point that I want you to know today is that we ought to surrender our lives to Him in all situations. The man's just been kicked out of the synagogue. Certainly a hit on his reputation points. Yet he sees Jesus as more valuable than his tradition, than his reputation, than the lifestyle that he knew before. And he surrenders his life to him. That he worshipped him. Yes, Lord, I believe. It says, and he worshipped him. So here's the point to make here. When you surrender to Jesus, what you're saying is, is Jesus, you are more valuable than my life. You're more valuable to me than, than this situation, than this thing or this, these other things I'm going through. You're more valuable than that, Jesus. So I'm surrendering my life to you. And when the value of Christ increases in your life, when it begins to rise, it's like a scale. What happens is the value of worldly things begins to fall. 
And so when you begin to place infinite value in Jesus, that you are more important than my status as a single person. You are more important than my financial status. You're more important than my job. You're more important than my reputation. You're more important than how I look or my posturing or my ability to hide and to lie and cheat and steal. You're more important than those things. What happens is when we say that Jesus is more important, all of those worldly things in our life, that old man, to use the Ephesians 4 language, that old man begins to fall away. That new man is built up. See, if you're a believer in here, you know this is true. There's a war in you, right? I mean, there's this war daily. The cartoons are almost, they almost get it right. You've got this angel on one side trying to steer you this direction. You've got this devil on the other side trying to steer you in this direction. And we have that war going on inside of us all the time. And what happens is when we choose the evil thing, we choose it because we value it more than Jesus. It's just plain and simple. That hurts, that stings. And so I think in your situations, for you to glorify God in your situation, for you to bring glory to Him in all things that you're going through, it requires you to surrender to Him in that thing. God, this situation isn't what I hoped it would be. This situation doesn't look like how I envisioned my life right now. But God, I know I can trust You. You've been faithful to me, and I've been so unfaithful to you. So would you show me how to glorify you in this situation? Would you help me do that? James, 4, or James 1 promises, James 1, 5 promises that if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask. And that God gives liberally, freely, wisdom in all situations. Are we asking? My experience is often I don't. <laughs> often I just keep ramming my head into the wall because it, you know, it just looks like a good idea. <laughs> Man, Jesus is so much greater than the foolish things of this world. Oh, for you to catch that, your life would be changed forever. Lord, help us get it. Help us see that. I think we look for the parts of us, of our inner being, those things deep down in us that want to be in control, those things that want to be out front leading, those things that don't want to surrender. We look for those things and we kill them. We slay those things before they slay us. And you do that by surrendering to God. Lord, help me. Show me. Give me wisdom. I repent. I'm a terrible human being and I need you. There's times and seasons for all situations. But they're temporary, guys. They're fleeting. The greatest pain you could ever know is temporary. It's temporary. Now, it, may, it may last your whole life, but that's temporary on the scale of eternity. So here's a couple of things for you to hold on to. Okay? 
Just two verses, and then I'm done with you. Y'all can go ahead and come up and play if you want. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 through 18. This is my encouragement for you today. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. And when Paul writes for this light, momentary affliction, you know what he's talking about? He, he's talking about your life. That your life is light, momentary affliction. And you're like, well, Paul don't know me. He don't know my life. It's not light or momentary. <laughs> and I just ask you to be humble in your thoughts on that. Paul experienced probably far more persecution than you and I will ever have to experience. Far more affliction than you and I will have to experience. And what Paul is saying to these believers at Corinth, he's saying this is all light and momentary. And he says this, he goes on here. He says, these things are preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So the, the light momentary affliction cannot be compared to the eternal weight of glory which awaits you. Which awaits the believer in heaven. And he says, as we look not to the things that are seen, so here's the key, don't look at your situation. But he says, to the things that are unseen, look to the heavens. Look to God. Look to that eternal weight of glory. We look to it. Though we don't see it yet, we're, we're looking at that. We know it's there because God is faithful. God's working in me. He's faithful to complete that work, so I'm going to look to what I cannot see. God, I don't understand how you're going to glorify yourself in this situation, but I know you are and I'm looking to that. Help me see it. God, I don't know how long this affliction will last in my life. I don't know how bad it's going to get, but I'm looking to you and I can see you. And so I'm steady. When the world's caving in around me, when my ground is crumbling beneath me, when my life is falling apart, <laughs> when Job's life looks better than mine, I'm looking to you. I'm looking to you. He says, do not look to the, things that are un to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. And here's what he says. For the things that are seen are transient. They're always changing. If you've lived any amount of time, which you all have, you know that things change. Again, Ecclesiastes 3, seasons come and go. The things we can see are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So what is 80 years on this earth when compared to eternity? It's an amazing opportunity to glorify God for 80 years in all things. It's a wonderful opportunity to leave a legacy for our children, to leave a legacy for younger brothers and sisters in the Lord. It's an amazing opportunity to lean on community to find brothers and sisters that will sit in that foxhole with you. To fight with you. To trust with you. It's an amazing opportunity to find that Aaron who will hold your arms up when you're getting tired. This life is a gift. 
is hard. It hurts. It's painful at times. But it's a gift from God. An opportunity to glorify Him with our vapor. With our mist of a life. And then guess what? Guess what? Revelation 21, verse 4. You get to that other side of your last breath as a believer. This is what you get. This is what you gain. This is what awaits you. This eternal weight of glory. Here it is. He will wipe away every tear from your eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. That's what Jesus came to do. He came to reconcile a broken world, to redeem it. One day there's going to be a new heaven, there's going to be a new earth. You get to roam around and play, never crying, never sinning, never worrying about death or pain or loss anymore. Never fighting over sin. Never trying to hold your tongue. You get to walk up to a lion and pet it and not be devoured. I don't know if your puppy will be there. Maybe they will. Cats won't, though. We know that. Joke. The Lord is with you today. And He's working in you. Of this you can be sure because there's an eternal weight of glory that He's preparing you for. So as long as there's breath, fight. As long as there's breath, hope. As long as there's life in you, keep moving forward. I love the the language of James. He said, brothers, we stumble forward in the faith. There's so many times that my walk with Christ looks like a baby taking its first steps. I smash my face on everything, and yet He's there just cheering me on. You can do it. Keep moving forward. Amen? Just stand to your feet this morning.